If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, I'm the Mary. No, I'm the Mary. No, you're the Rhoda. I'm the Mary. I'm the Mary. Hi, guys. Welcome to a new episode of Slaughter. Um, should we just do it? Yeah. Yeah. So, I'm going to be telling you about recent-ish... No, it's not. Is it in the 2000s? No. Oh, it's <laughs> not recent then. It's not recent. Compared to last week. Yeah, that, last week's is super old. So, this is a the murder of Daniel Morgan. Oh, Have you heard of it? I think I have. It's one of those that's always referred to as the murder of Daniel Morgan and not murderer's name. Yeah. It's very well known. Hence why I don't know murderer's name. Because <laughs> there is none. Oh no! Oh, is it, it unsolved? I know who it was. Okay, that's fine. We all know. <laughs> so, 9pm <laughs> 9, 9 on the 10th of March 1987, Daniel Morgan left a meeting at the Golden Lion Pub in South East London and he walked to the car park. He unlocked the door of his BMW. He's doing alright. Um, behind him... There was a figure, and they raised a huge axe and hit Daniel four times on the head. The axe was left in Daniel's face, fused to his cheekbone. Shit. Yeah. It had a 14-inch handle, and round the handle had been wound like plasters, like a luster plast. Right. To make it easier to grip. And the police used this as evidence that had been done by a professional. I would have thought a professional would have bought an axe with a good grip. Yeah, like, give me your ergonomic axes. Like, why are you using elastoplast? Yeah. That isn't a professional. That's, like, life hack on Instagram. (laughs) Yeah. So. Just ruin seven products and you can have something that looks like shit. (laughs) They always ruin, like, useful products to make an ornament. Yeah. That is not a life hack. That's a life waste. (laughs) Elastoplast on the handle. Life waste. 
Daniel's death had been carried out just days after Daniel was reportedly investigating the drugs trade and police corruption in London. So it gets pretty dark. Some bits I don't understand. It gets darker than an axe to the face. Well, it doesn't get much darker than that. Oh, okay. It gets pretty intricate. Oh, you're just telling me to pay attention. It just gets boring. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I'm saying. That's it. That's the interesting bit done. Sorry. Okay. So he'd been born in 1949. He had two siblings and his family had a history of mining in Wales, as do mine. Um, Yes. Those miners must have gone through some shit. Still, you still need to watch the movie Pride about the miners in Wales. I'm excited. Um, And his father had been taken as a prisoner of war during the Second World War. Um, And he continued in the service after his release in 1945. So he wasn't put off from being in the army. That's hard as nails, isn't it? Um, He'd met his wife in the army. So he was a captain. She was a telephonist. Nice. You've got a gender gender pay gap there. Well, I would hope that there was a pay gap between captain and (laughs) telephonist. (laughs) Otherwise, it's not making good business sense. (laughs) So they moved to Singapore and Daniel and his older brother had been born in Singapore and then they moved back to London. And sadly, Daniel's father died just age 41. His mother remarried and this time it was to a man working as a private detective, which is fucking cool Daniel no if I met a real private detective I'd like oh they'd yeah. know so much about you wouldn't they they've, they've got skills that I don't want to know about they're the worst ex-boyfriends as well surely yes exactly the worst so Daniel basically learned the trade from his stepdad um he was helping find runaways quite a lot and proving infidelities like cheaters so best show love that show so he it was almost like the family business but the the married in family business. So he began to work as a private eye, which is another word for a private detective. And he married a woman called Iris and had two children. They called his son Daniel, which is a bit weird. So Daniel then set up his own business. He hired staff. He made contacts. He made quite a lot of contacts in the police force. And he worked quite closely with them, but not always legitimately. So Daniel's brother Alistair was very suspicious after the killing. And he began looking for information about Daniel's murder because he didn't trust that the police were doing a good job. And he'd been doing some work for Daniel's company as well. And he knew that Daniel had been working on a case um, with Jonathan Rees. It's R-E-E-S. I'm assuming it said Rees. Rees' pieces. I think so. And he worked as a bailiff, evicting squatters and travellers, but he also worked with Daniel as well. And he was quite aggressive and quite racist. He was a shit. So Reese had been transporting £18,000 for a car auction company and he'd had it stolen outside of his house. Right. Or air quotes, stolen, probably. And Daniel... Oh, they're like, where's the money? Yeah. Daniel had suspected that was a scam. Reese claimed two men had squirted ammonia in his eyes and left with the money. On the day of his murder, Jonathan Rees had been to a meeting with Daniel. In fact, he'd invited Daniel to meet with him. And he had left just before the attack. <gasps> it's him! <laughs> so, Daniel's trousers, after the, when they found the body, his trousers had been torn at the pockets. But he I had... something in there. He had a grand in his pocket that was still there, though. 
And so that had were a... they stuffing it in the pocket? But his watch had been taken. Alistair thought they were trying to make it look like a mugging that had got out of hand, but it was weird that they hadn't taken these this money. But witnesses had said they'd seen Daniel writing some notes after the meeting and they weren't found on his body. Right. So although it was intended to look like a mugging, he thought it was more that they wanted to get the information off him so police didn't find it. Yeah. And actually it wasn't a mugging. Yeah. Who like, carries a fucking gram? I know. I don't even have a pound for the trolleys. I spent my trolley pound on the bus yesterday. Yeah. Thousand pounds. Thousand trolleys. <laughs> so the murder inquiry was led by a Sid Fillery. And Fillery was a big guy. He was really confident. But he was also best like friend. big in the game. Just massive. Oh, okay. Um, but also best mates with Jonathan Rees. Right. So, that yeah. Thickens. And the two had been out for drinks at the same pub 24 hours before the murder. And they'd actually had a fight the day before. Um, there'd been a brawl involving Rees, Fillery and some local policemen, which again was pretty suspect. So it wasn't said what they were arguing about, but could have been something to do with police corruption. It could have been something to do with... Daniel having information. That's right. the, that's what it could have been. So Reese and Philly had also been out drinking every night that week to hang out. Now Alistair continued asking around, found that another ba- a man had been at the meeting with Daniel and Reese, a Paul Goodridge, and he was the last person to have seen Daniel alive and he worked as a bodyguard. Um so the case just wasn't handled well by Fillory. He questioned Reese, but he didn't ask. But Fillory, were you just told he was friends with him? He was it. friends with Reese. And then he's doing the investigation yeah. where he has to investigate his friend. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's not great, is it? No, not great at all. Like he's kind of involved. Yeah. But, I mean, that but that was on purpose. That That's what Alistair thinks. Because they knew that if Daniel was killed in a certain area of London, then that is the police team who would be picking up the case. Right. So. Ooh. Mm. Got it. So, um, uh, Fillory did have an interview with Reese about the murder, but he didn't ask him about the meeting just before the murder. He didn't. That's the only reason he's involved. I know. Didn't do any forensics on his clothes. Didn't do any forensics on his car. Um, and then when Alistair started asking questions, he said, stay out of it, let the police handle it. He's like, this isn't your business. And it just let Reese go. So obviously all that evidence is contaminated straight away. Alistair became really frustrated, but also he had been investigating this, um, you know, for a week or so, but he had to go back to work. So he kept phoning up the murder squad, asking for more information, but they were making hardly any progress. And his brother's company also claimed, so Daniel's company, that the police would come and take a load of files away that were associated with the car auction case with the £18,000. They'd just gone. No one could find them. They weren't in, in under police protection. And Fillory denied that those files were ever taken, even though all the workers said that they'd come in and taken them. So it was all just really shrouded in mystery, really confusing. Now, Fillory soon after left the murder case because there was a conflict of interest, because it was his mate. Yeah. The damage had already been done. 
So just three days after Fillory left the case, Fillory and Reese and two others who were in the police force were arrested for the crime, including Reese's brother-in-laws. So as soon as someone else was in charge, they were like, yeah, they okay, were arrested. Just, you dickheads. So, Daniel's family weren't even told that arrest had been made for this crime. You'd think they'd be in the loop, wouldn't you? You'd think they'd get a call saying we've arrested someone on the murder. Um, But they found out from the local papers. Oh, shit. Which is so messed up. Um, They weren't given any explanation, but they also weren't given any explanation why those four were released without being charged. So although they were brought in, arrested, not just questioned, they were just let go again. Yeah, they must have just not said anything. Or they said something that they knew would get them out um, if it implicated the police. I'm trying to think what they could have said. I don't know, like all the police... There must be some people in anti-corruption. Not in the 80s. I don't know. So Fillory now claimed that he was suffering from depression and that he needed to leave the police force altogether and he was given a full medical pension. So like a shitload of money and just left to go off. Um, but Alistair continued to ask questions and voice his concerns, come up with ideas. He asked yeah. the Home Secretary to offer a reward for information. Uh, at the time, that was Douglas Hurd. He did nothing, but it was really ironic because Douglas Hurd was also in his spare time writing murder mysteries. But he uh, didn't want to solve this one. Yeah, not actually that interesting. So an inquest was opened into the murder 13 months after the death because they said, well, it's been badly handled and Alistair requested an inquest and they said yes in the end. So the Morgan family were advised not to go, but they were like, yes, we're going. And Scotland Yard said, don't have any legal representation there. But they ignored that. They got a barrister and they asked him to question the witnesses. So they were allowed to do that. At the inquest, um, there was a witness called Kevin Lennon and he revealed that he had been friends with Jonathan Reese, and that Jonathan Reese had told him that he and Daniel shared a mistress called Margaret Harrison and that they both were competing for her. He also said that Reese wanted Daniel out of the picture. This is the first time he'd spoken up about this. Um, he also said that Reese wanted Daniel to leave the business um, because he was working with them. He was going to take over. Um, so he thought that the best way to do that was to get him done for drink driving. So he'd lose his driving licence and then he couldn't work. Although in London, hop on the tube. Um, Lennon also said that Reese had asked him if he knew anyone who would be a hitman and would kill Daniel for him. And if he could borrow some elastoplast. No, you don't really. So, uh, Lennon said that Reese had told him the murder would cost £1,000. Which is cheap. That is cheap for a murder. So cheap. The worst thing was that the Morgan family found out at this um, inquest was that after leaving the force, Fillory had got another job at Daniel's firm doing Daniel's How? job. Reese had hired it. So he was doing Daniel's job. He's like taking his life. Yeah. So um, Lennon then implicated the police. He said that they had said that if Reese 
couldn't find a hitman, they would get someone who they'd arrested on other charges to kill Daniel and in payment let him off the original charges because they wanted him gone because he knew about the police providing information and getting paid for it. Right. To stitch up people in the media and that they needed him gone because he was going to blow the story. Going to blow it wide open. Yeah. And so he got his face blown wide open. So, well, chopped wide open. So he also said, so Lennon also said, the murder had to happen in the jurisdiction of of Catford Police Station so that the murder would be invested. Yeah. Now, Reese denied all of this, obviously. Daniel's body had also been identified by Reese because he wanted to protect the family. So as a friend, so they really had gone, been kept out of everything. Yeah, so he could just tamper with whatever. Then, um, another witness who was an undercover policeman called Hanrahan, who had been hired by Detective Superintendent Douglas Campbell because he was suspicious about Reese and Fillory. So there was someone doing oh, some stuff underground. Um, he said that Reese had been trying to disrupt the investigation after Fillory was taken off it by disregarding the detective inspector. And he had been trying to... Well, he'd been thinking of planting drugs in the car to get him arrested. So he wanted the whole thing disrupted yeah. continuously, which suggests that he had an involvement in that, that he didn't want to get caught. So Campbell revealed that Daniel had been considering revealing the police corruption that happened in South East London, but he had no proof of this. Okay. But that he that he had information on the police and he was going to get them done for it. Alistair Morgan continued to battle to get justice for Daniel. And he believes, based on witnesses, that Daniel was going to sell a story to the news of the world detailing police corruption for a fee of £40,000 just days after he was murdered and that that had been set up to happen. £40,000 for a story, £1,000 for a murder. Yeah. Someone's shit at math. <laughs> yeah. Reese responded by arguing that if that was going to be the case, wouldn't more people have known? Wouldn't Daniel have told people that he was going to get some money or that that was his plan? Although, if he knew it was a bit dodgy, maybe he wouldn't. Yeah, you wouldn't say it because then things like this happen. Like, yeah. You're telling people, oh, by the way, I will blow, like... Yeah, I'm going to get a lot of people in trouble here. Let yeah, keep that spread the word. Yeah. But the news of the world is dodgy anyway, and it was really dodgy at this time. Yeah, pick a better newspaper. Yeah. So it's widely believed that Reese played Glenn and Gary Vian, who were his brother-in-laws, I think. They were related to him in some way. They were one of, they were part of the people arrested to carry out the killing, that he hadn't carried out the killing himself, but he was heavily involved in right. Daniel's murder. It sounds like he's orchestrated it. Yeah. But also, within this time, there was all the information of the news of the world and the phone hacking scandals. So there were, yeah. there's links to that. I'm not really sure how. But there's it's been said that they paid Daniel's company £150,000 to get confidential information from police they could use against celebrities and people in the media. So it's all just a big, horrid mess. But it is an unsolved one, but it's not, because I think they solved it. They just let them go. And it's all just a massive... There's a lot of hearsay and logic as to who could have done it, that it was Jonathan Rees, but... Yeah. 
they just can't prove. So it's a bit of a break from my normal kind of story because it's not as interesting. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. But I know that some people will find that more interesting, which is why I did it. Luke was thinking, oh, that's really exciting, police corruption. Yeah, I found that more interesting. But I love it good serial killer. What book did you rinse for that? So a lot of the information from this story came from Untouchables, Dirty Cops, Bent Justice and Racism in Scotland Yard by Michael Gillard. So if you want to read more about it or you want to reread what I just told you, check out that book. It's my man. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Better now. <laughs> Every other week means that when we start to record, I'm, I feel like I'm out of practice with talking. Yeah, a little bit. Like, how do I say words? <laughs> well, here they are. <laughs> um, I'm going to tell you a story about a lady called Florence Maybrick. I like the name Florence. I like the name Florence. Although, if you call Florence and you have a brother or sister who has children, then you become Auntie Flo. And that means period. Does it? Auntie Flo is coming to visit. I've never heard that. No? No, I was saying. Got the painters in. Surfing the crimson wave. <laughs> so clueless. Yeah. <laughs> or just on the blob. On the blob. Like, I like ones that sound worse. Yeah. Mourning the death of my egg. That's the best one to freak people out with. I'm just sad. One of my eggs died. Anyway, <laughs> on that note, she didn't. Her eggs didn't die. Like that's not the main focus of the story. I don't even think I'm going to mention a period. So <laughs> for a change, <laughs> I know normally when it's a female killer, that's something we bring up. But so she was originally called Miss Florence Chandler. And she married James Maybrick in 1881. And they later settled together in Liverpool, where this story takes place. They'd met on a White Star liner ship called the Baltic, um, a transatlantic a cruise. sailing. What do you call it? It's not a flight when it's in a boat. Sail? Journey? Journey. <laughs> <laughs> What's the word for moving on a boat? <laughs> Yeah, but you say a flight, you don't say a yeah, sail, do you? No. They yeah. met on a sail. <laughs> <laughs> on the sail. They met on this journey, this transatlantic journey. She was American and he was English. 
she was 18 and she was heading off to do like the grand tour of Europe with her mother. She was from Mobile, Alabama, which... If we I, went to. Yeah, if I remember rightly, that's where we went to the service station, bought our favourite Mexican blankets, and the one where there's, like, to get in, there was the big, like, a camper van, yeah. fake camper van that was, like, crashed into the wall. Mabel. I thought Mobile was where we went for dinner, like, lunch, and saw the guy from the Bates Motel. No, that was back in Florida. I thought Mobile was where oh. Jean told us to go specifically to that service station with the van yeah. in the wall. And got those cute Mexican blankets that we loved for the whole last yeah. of the journey. So, but that's other than that, we didn't chill in Mobile that much. No. But that's where she was from. Her father was really quite wealthy. Her mother had links to like the American, I don't, they didn't have an aristocracy, I guess, but the poshos. Poshos. Um, so she was, and she was an attractive debutante, proper Southern belle. So she had looks, but also she had prospects. Um, James Maybrick, he was on the boat because he was traveling back from New York on business. He was a cotton merchant. So he was also really quite wealthy. He had huge, um, cotton broker business, but he was 42 years old. Ew. Yeah. But they were both rich. So neither one was after the other for you know purely for their wealth i think they did fall in love and at the time for a victorian man who in industry it like the get ahead like work 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 i don't it wasn't seen as as weird they were told to get young wives because like because they wanted to have kids basically at 42 could you stand an 18 year old well yeah that's the other thing i couldn't but also, I want to know, it raises a lot of questions for me, like how exactly they managed to fall in love. She was a teenager on holiday with a mum. Like, yeah. was she there when they were flirting? Did holiday. she meet him on this boat journey and then not finish, not go on holiday? Like, did she go straight to England and be like, oh, well, fuck Europe. Like, I'm going to be married now. Or did she carry on without him? Like, I feel like it's a bit like Dirty Dancing, you know, how she's on holiday with her parents, except... Yeah where Baby would poison Patrick Swayze in the end. Spoiler alert. So by 1884, they were living in Liverpool in a huge mansion known as Battle Crease House, which immediately made me think of Axe Wound. Uh, Battle Crease. Yeah. Like, surely they're synonymous. Put battle crease away, <laughs> Exactly. I mean, Victorians were filthy. If no one uses the word axe wound... That's like a ravaged vagina, though, isn't it? A battle crease. Yeah, it, it, it's vagina words is what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> FYI. Sorry to spell it out. I'm always going to refer to it now as my battle crease. I, like, it's been through a lot. Like, <laughs> she's four and she's one. She is a warrior. <laughs> she's a battle crease. Dare you take on my battle grease <laughs> many wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> many have <laughs> okay no we do. that's not important to know <laughs> anyway that's what they called their house <laughs> battle grease and uh, they had two children who they called gladys and bobbo oh my i God. hope he was actually called robert and then, of course, they needed staff to run the house because why? if you touch your own children before they're 10, they tend to develop emotions, which isn't something that we British enjoy. So she had a nanny called Alice Yap who was there. 
Um, James would give Florence an allowance to which she had to use. It was seven pounds a week, but she had to use that to do the food, utilities, pay the staff wages, buy things for the kids. Basically, that was all the money he was giving her. So she very quickly was running up debts and getting in a bit of a mess because it wasn't enough. These are the times when you could go to a shop and be and say you'd pay them later as well. Oh yeah, they'd yeah. just take it, especially coming from Battle Cruise House. <laughs> but James was also said to be quite a quick-tempered man, as well as being a hypochondriac, so he doesn't sound like the nicest husband. He doesn't give you much money, he's going to be angry if you talk about it, and then he's going to be complaining about his illnesses oh. when you're not talking about money. But he had great faith in homeopathic remedies. Oh, God. So he would regularly take pills and compounds to boost his health and his virility. Uh, But I think I mentioned it back in the episode on Herbert Armstrong, who was the lawyer that was um, thought to have poisoned his wife with arsenic, that I think I would list... He's a weed killer guy. Yeah, I think I listed all the different things that arsenic was used for. His wife was into homeopathic remedies, weed killers, cleaning products, sweets, loads of stuff. So James's homeopathic remedies were, almost all of them had arsenic, strychnine in them. Yeah. Because arsenic was kind of like a cure-all. It was used for pretty much everything at the time. And he was taking that regularly. But they must have worked fairly well in their job as a Victorian Viagra because he had enough energy to go and get himself a mistress. He's got an 18-year-old. Yeah. What more do you want? Well, Florence discovered that James had this mistress. I don't quite know how it came about, but she discovered he had this mistress and that he'd actually had her for the last 20 years and that he had five children with her. Just marry her then. Well, exactly. They were sort of living as husband and wife. They had, they'd lived together in various cities and when he would go away, he'd be living with her and his other family. So I think there must... I don't know much about the other woman, but I can only assume that she wasn't of a high enough rank for yeah. him to have married because he would have been with her long before Florence just had kids mar- with her, yeah. wanted her, loved her. He just marry her and increase her rank, though. Exactly. So he's a bit of a knobhead, really. A snob. Old snobhead. Drug taking, snobbing, like snubbing, and being a snob towards the woman he does love, and then taking this eighteen-year-old and not loving her and being mean. Yeah. He's a bit of a twat. So, understandably devastated, because she had fallen in love with him and, like, moved to England for him and everything, Florence then sought comfort in the arms of Alfred Briley, who was another Liverpool cotton merchant that she knew through her husband. They He was the same age as her, he was attractive, and they'd met during a party held at Battlecrease House. So, I think... He was everything that she need wanted at that point, really. Yeah. More a suitable match. So they started an affair, which continued for a couple of years. By March 1889, Florence had organised a week's stay at a hotel with Alfred, but Alfred had paid the bill and they had both left after just a weekend there. So she went and spent the rest of the week with her friends and basically said Alfred had told her that he liked someone else and he would never marry her. He said he would rather blow his brains out (gasps) than face the disgrace of their affair being discovered, which makes him another 
absolute wank stain. Yeah. Because he loves her. If she got divorced, they could get together, but they've been seeing sleeping together for years. Like, she wants to leave her husband for him, and he's like, I don't want anyone to find out that I've been with you. Yeah, that's awful. But... There would have been a lot of stigma to an affair. If they had split up and then got married, I think everyone would just basically assume that they'd been together beforehand. Yeah, but that's a brutal way to call it Awful to say, I'd rather kill myself than know that people know that I slept. But I suppose he knew him, he worked with him. No one would do business with him anymore if they knew that he would sleep with your wife. Yeah. But he still is a dick too. Yeah. However, like, oh, this situation just makes my heart hurt. Because the following weekend, Florence and James Maybrick attended the Grand National and Alfred Briley was also there. So she just had this horrendous breakup where he told her that also I like someone else and I would rather die than marry anyone find out I've been with you. And then she sees him at this event and it's just, you just know when you see that ex that you still want to be with how heartbreaking it can be. So like a lot of us, she didn't. She wasn't able to resist and she walked the course with Alfred and oh. hung out with him. Well, he, he's leading her on again then. Yeah, I mean, I guess he could be conflicted. He's probably trying to... He he doesn't want people to know, think that he's an adulterer, but he's tried and tried to cut it off harshly. Maybe he was overly harsh yeah. to try and end it. Because they walked together that day and James, who saw it, became so furious that he went home and left her there to make her own way back. So she made it quite obvious then. Well, I think he made it quite obvious. Like, she's walking with an acquaintance. You're storming off having yeah. an absolute paddy. I know what I'm going to be attaching the drama to. Yeah. Him. So the nanny, Alice Yap, she was witness to the fight that followed when they both arrived home, um, during which James hit Florence in the face... And she attempted to leave the house. But James said, once you cross that threshold, you're never coming back in here. So Alice intervened and said, look, think about the children. Go up and stay in the spare room. It will be fine. I was just spent two minutes trying to work out who killed who. And I just remembered that you told us all at the beginning. So if you were listening, (laughs) you'll know. Or did she? Well, it's not cut and dried. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) so the next day james cut florence from his will and she visited the doctor to complain about the fact that she was this whole situation was so horrific she couldn't sleep um she was being mistreated the doctor noted that she had a black eye she was like this situation is making me ill i don't know what to do but they did stay together the doctor just obviously gave her some pills like off your pop here's help you sleep just stop being a woman about it and take these pills pretty much a month later uh james went to stay with his brother in london and he went to a doctor there complaining that he had numbness in his leg and pains in his head but the doctor said there was nothing wrong and just gave him a tonic for indigestion which of course contained like all sorts of yucky stuff on the 22nd of april so like not long after that he was with friends and they were one of them brought up the topic of oh everyone lately everyone seems to be taking medicines with poison in like i would never do it and james piped up and boasted that he always took poisonous medicines and that he and his friends knew that he would drink um beef tea like I guess sort of a broth, beef tea with arsenic that he would add and say, oh, it's just like meat and liquor to me. Like he always 
had it. I don't know that you can become addicted to it, but he said that he get he would get it whenever he could. That he always wanted to have. I think of them every all. day. Yeah. He was taking it four or five times a day. Some type of arsenic. I mean, I guess alcohol is technically a poison. Yeah. So we do drink. I was trying to think of the modern day equivalent, but I guess that isn't a modern day equivalent because they also had that option then. I can't think. I guess like those disgusting health teas, like health drinks that you get that <laughs> taste think, awful. The thing with arsenic is, is although I'm saying he was taking it four or five times a day. He would have been having to take really tiny amounts yeah. because a couple of grams of arsenic could kill ten people. Yeah. So it it'd be like a tiny. tiny they don't even wet. Yeah, it's like grains salt. they call it, and it's like half a grain that you would take something like that because it's just so vicious and a poison. Yeah. So. Taking it wasn't uncommon. It was, like I say, it was in everything. But people were starting to discuss the effects of it and become a bit more wary and talk about how actually you're not a very nice person when you're constantly taking arsenic all the time. And Florence had even gone to the family doctor over a year before saying that she was really worried about the medicines he was taking, that he always seems to be worse after. So it did alter your personal, a bit like alcohol, it would alter you i think not so much that he was altered well when he was on it he felt better he'd get hard on and do whatever but i think it was like when he wanted it again right a little bit uh and she asked the doctor to try and persuade him to stop taking it so but he couldn't so the day after he confessed to his friends that he would take this florence bought some fly paper and she was seen by the staff of the house soaking it in her bedroom washstand in order to extract the arsenic which was in it. And so she said that she was going to use it for like, take the arsenic water and use it as a facial treatment because she was going to a ball, she had some spots and that was a common treatment. It was also used... um, Could she just buy arsenic for that though? Not, well, it's said it's a common practice to do that women would do it uh, and that lots of women would use it on their face and also that it was used to remove body hair you'd rub like arsenic on your it's just the fact that she bought it as fly paper it's almost like she didn't want people to know that she'd bought arsenic it wasn't so easy to buy like again when we had herbert armstrong like the buying of arsenic he was having to go to a couple of different chemists to get it and they would obviously make a note of what you were buying yeah so i think for her husband he was obviously getting it but then she i think this is this is going to become an important piece of evidence later in her trial later a lot of people the prosecution was saying look she was seen extracting arsenic but then also it's like if she was using that arsenic to poison people why is she not just using the arsenic that her husband's got all the time yeah. she obviously doesn't have access to his arsenic yeah like or she could because why would she do it in the open in front of everyone it seems like and just in her bedroom leave it out talk yeah. to the maids about it she's not that yeah. dumb i don't think there was also at the trial experts on both sides like the toxicologists and they couldn't agree on how much arsenic this practice would actually produce whether it could produce enough to kill you or not like so yeah it's but this was an important thing she was seen doing it so a week later so if you were going to do extract it you'd think you use it straight away but a week yeah. later james made became really quite ill and took to his bed 
Florence told the doctor that she thought he'd taken an overdose of strychnine. And she had written to James's brother telling him about the fact that he won't stop taking arsenic, he won't stop taking strychnine. I'm really worried about him. Can you talk to him about it? Um, the doctor visited again and this time diagnosed James with chronic indigestion and just said, look, you just need to go on a diet. Then about a week or so later, James had attempted to go back to work, but he was soon forced back to bed. He was now constantly being sick and he said that he was having numb hands. So he started to see a couple of different doctors now because he always wanted a second opinion. And during the first weeks of May, he was prescribed loads of different medicines, different solutions. Some said you need to have a rich diet of this, what's called like Valentine's meat juice, like sort of a rich bro thing, like just have meat juice and just have milk. And then someone else would be like, no, you're getting indigestion. You need to be having only soda water and vegetables. And then, of course, lots of them were prescribing him Prussic acid, arsenic, strychnine, yeah. the things that he was having. 8th of May, there were two ladies who were friends with James and they became suspicious when they heard that Alice Yap had seen Florence soaking flypapers. So they then sent for a nurse to come and wait on James so that Florence wasn't doing it herself and they wrote to James's brothers Edwin and Michael saying you need to come immediately and start overseeing things at the house because we think that Florence is involved. So a professional nurse arrived that afternoon and because Florence finally had some time on her own she without looking after her husband she wrote a letter and gave it to Alice Yap to go and post now, this is maybe the second turning point in what happened to Florence, is that Alice Yap says she was on her way to post the letter when she dropped it and the envelope became muddy. So she thought, oh, I'd best take it out of the envelope and put it in a yeah. new one. Oh, yeah. Of course, she opened it up and read it. Yeah, of course she did. And she probably just ripped it open as soon as she got out when she saw that the address was to Alfred Briley. Right. So, in it, Florence, you could in, interpret the contents of the letter a couple of ways. She basically was saying, oh, things are awful here. Like, I'm having to look after James all the time. He's really ill. Um, he's all, I think he's going to die. He, we don't know what's going to happen. It all depends on how strong he is. And then saying, I don't want you to worry about being discovered because he's been delirious and he clearly doesn't know anything. He's not mentioned it. He's not asked any questions. So you don't need to panic. Right. So... Because I guess the last time was when he'd freaked out at the races. Yeah, of course. So Alice Yap then snitched immediately to James's brothers and showed them this letter. And then he told the nurses, right, don't leave Mrs. Maybrick alone with her husband. Which really, so they all took it as, now she's got a motive to kill him. But I sort of thought of like, well, she's just sort of saying, she wasn't saying, then we can be together, or I love you. She was just saying, look, he's ill and he's dying, but don't panic. He's not going to have any last minute confessions. Yeah. I took it as. And she's been written out of the will anyway. I don't know why. Anyway. Yeah. I don't think it's motive, but the brothers did. The following day, James was now much, much worse. He was now suffering from diarrhoea, so the brothers collected samples of his feces, his urine, the bottle of brandy that he was, of course, drinking, (laughs) 
and a bottle of something called Neve's food that some of the doctors had prescribed. I guess like a, again, like another stocky thing. There's something that's not going to help diarrhea with brandy on an empty stomach. Right. And they examined all of these things for arsenic because they thought that must be what Florence is using and she's poisoning him, but none of those things had arsenic in them. So a nurse called Nurse Gore. How perfect a name is that? Especially for Victorians. Nurse Gore came on duty in the evening and she was going to give James some of this meat juice. And she said that she saw Mrs. Maybrick take the bottle into her dressing room and then come back out a few minutes later. And she basically thought she tampered with it. But none of that bottle was given to James because he was continuing to be sick. But it was found to contain half a grain of arsenic in that bottle. So, but Florence later explained. I mean, obviously they tested the other things and they hadn't. Yeah. So that's, that could only have been the first time. Florence said later at trial that basically he'd been begging her the whole time that he was ill to give him some of his white powder that Which he is liked. Possible. Yeah, and she said she kept resisting, but he was getting worse and he was so distressed that it was really upsetting to watch he was just begging and begging please get my powders please get my powders and put it in and so she said she just gave in which considering he was used to taking it four or five times a day could be possible that he was begging for it to feel better so friday the 10th of may it's only a couple of days michael maybrick the brother of james said that he caught florence tampering with two medicine bottles as in, like, just swapping them, taking one away and putting a new one down. But they were examined, and neither of them had any traces of arsenic in. They were just normal bottles. She wasn't actually doing anything. Later that day... God, they're, like, on her every time she does anything. Oh, yeah. It's a weird situation. Like, they're watching her every move, but not actually... Because he's not dead, he's alive, then, like, oh, she's not a murderer, but they're still letting her be there, but they're just really... maybe I would have just been like, right, well, I'll just go away then. You can just see what happens yourself. Yeah, just kill him. (laughs) Like, I'll come back when when you've murdered my brother. (laughs) Um, So later that day, James is delirious, and he was heard saying to his wife, how could you do it? I didn't think you could do it. They thought they must have been talking about her poisoning him, but Florence said that because she could tell that the end was near, she had had a whispered conversation with him where she'd confessed that she'd been having this affair and had asked for his forgiveness because she thought he was going to die. And that's what he was talking about when he said he couldn't believe she'd done it, which could be true. Or he could just be rambling because earlier in that day, he'd also said to one of the nurses, don't give me the wrong medicine again when a nurse was giving it to him. I mean, it could just be that he's referring to the fact that he's had lots of doctors, they keep changing the prescriptions, Mm. don't give me the ones that make him ill. Or he could just be losing it because he's been ill for days and doesn't know what's happening. Yeah. It's difficult to take these things into consideration, like, as black and white. So the next day, Saturday the 11th of May, James Maybrick died. He finally went. Florence did the classic fine lady thing of swooning (laughs) when's the last time someone swooned yeah i want to know when's the last recorded time that people accepted (laughs) swooning as a thing (laughs) okay now it's like oh she's fainted people don't even faint really when you hear bad news do people faint if they do there's a lot of drama before where they feel faint (laughs) yeah 
I'll have it. But not a bad news, just a not here. Yeah, right. Maybe it's something to do with the corsets and all that stuff. Maybe. Probably didn't help. Yeah. But she swooned, and so she was then confined to the dressing room where she'd been sleeping, um, which the brothers then t- liked, because they then began a huge search of the house, looking for evidence of what she they thought she'd done. And so they found small bottles absolutely everywhere they were finding they found a chocolate box which when they opened it had several little small vials in there which uh, they found inside a man's they said a man's hat box well his james's hat box they found lots more little bottles little bottles little vials handkerchiefs they found in they checked the inside of his dressing gown pocket everything contained arsenic all in all they said there was enough arsenic in that house to poison 50 people. Well, why would she be soaking flypapers? There's arsenic yeah, fucking everywhere. And closet. it's all in his stuff. He took yeah. arsenic all the fucking time. He's basically an addict. He's hiding bottles. Yeah. Yeah, if you're going to poison someone... He, I mean, he's doing it himself. It's very... They didn't see it that way. So Monday 13th of May, they had the post-mortem and they said that cause of death was due to an irritant poison in the stomach and bowels, but didn't go further. During the investigation, his body had to be exhumed on the 30th of May and they found it contained a non-fatal amount of arsenic, which they would have expected because some of his medicine was arsenic. So it was no more than should have been there. Um, They did look at the places where it was found. None of that was found in his stomach. But I had spoken before about how after death, like it's difficult because it diffuses throughout the body. Mm-hmm. So I don't know quite whether it would count yet. But they didn't find any of his stomach and his heart or his lungs where they would have expected to if he was poisoned by that. But in those places, they did find traces of strychnine, hyoscine, prussic acid and morphia, all of which had been prescribed to him during the illness. And don't come out of flypaper. Exactly. But... Mrs. Maybrick was arrested yeah. and she was initially, because she was swooning all the time, held in the hospital at Walton Jail and her hearing took place on the 13th of June. Large crowds of women gathered outside to hiss and jeer at her. Um, she was an American, which probably didn't help. I think they saw her as like this American woman coming here and murdering our men. Those Americans coming in. How dare they? Killing off her. Um, she'd hoped that the trial would take place in London because there was far too much gossip going around in Liverpool for her to receive a trial that would be fair everyone had their opinions on her before it even happened but 31st of July 1889 the trial began at Liverpool Assizes in front of an all-male jury of course and the only man can make a decision exactly the defence spoke about the fact that There was an absence of symptoms that were usually found with arsenic poisoning, but the huge amounts of arsenic found in the house meant that they couldn't really use the flypaper excuse because it would be ridiculous to soak flypapers in front of everyone when you had such access to large amounts of poison. literally everywhere. And they had lots of witnesses who came to speak about the fact that they saw James have this habit of taking arsenic himself all the time. The judge was a Mr. Justice Stephen, and he <laughs> Is that was... his actual name? They're all called Justice. Oh, right. <laughs> it's 
just did something. Uh, But he was really old and he was quite ill himself. He rambled on for two days during his summing up. He was quite open about the fact that he didn't really understand all the scientific (laughs) stuff they spoke about. And he said that basically any woman who could commit adultery could kill a person. (laughs) That was his opinion. He just thought if you have cheated on your husband, then I don't care what else the evidence says. You've probably done it. And lots of people said that she was basically tried for adultery, not for the murder, because that's all the judge really cared about. so messed up. So she was found guilty, and the judge, being as harsh as he was, sentenced her to death. Oh my God. He was, though, at this point, public opinion had then swayed, because everyone realised, like, actually, that's so so harsh for what has happened. He was booed as he left the court. And then articles began to be written saying that this was a miscarriage of justice. There were petitions made. There was Do people publicly boo anymore. Do you know if you have like we a should, ch- shouldn't we? A child murderer walking out of the courtroom. I know they're chased by photographers, but are the photographers booing as they do. Boo, <laughs> boo you. I think we just swear at them, don't we? I think we just call them a prick. Or a, yeah. yeah, I think we just shame shout. Explanatory. I wouldn't actually shout anything though, to be honest. I wouldn't. It's, it's I, would, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go there to look at it. No, it's very dignified. Um, there was lots of uh, pressure coming from America as well, because obviously her family were really well respected, and even I think even the, the president at the time tried to get in contact with the Home Office and say, "Look, she needs to be released." Yeah, but. So there was a lot of pressure. The 22nd of August, it was three days before she was due to be hanged that the Home Office finally agreed to change her sentence from death to 15 years. So she did serve 15 years in prison. And after she was released, she visited her mum in France and then moved back to America. She did write a book about her time in prison called like My 15 Years and like had minor so there's a little bit of flurry when she first arrived but then she sort of fell into obscurity she became pretty much a hermit she had like a really dilapidated cottage slash shack in connecticut where she lived with a buttload of cats (laughs) and she died in 1941 she's in her 70s in pretty much squalor um the judge, interestingly enough, from that trial, he retired not long after the her sentence was overturned and then actually died in a lunatic asylum. No way. Because he was off his rocker. So, retrial. Yeah, and basically, uh, looking at all the evidence now, there's not really much chance that she would have been convicted of that today. No. Beyond reasonable doubt, no way. Not ch- I don't think she did it. No. She wasn't in the will. I don't think having an affair is like makes you want to kill your husband. No. And I mean, was... I know they couldn't divorce very easily, but... Doesn't I don't see it as much. No. And he was so ill. He was taking poison all the fucking time. Yeah. He was bound to get ill at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. So, please, if you haven't already, write us a review. A good one. We still need those. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank you. And remember, listening to Slaughter doesn't make you a psycho. 
Calling your house battle crease does. Calling your vagina battle crease is what's going to make me cool.